We're first in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which is in page, on page 976. And um, we'll read this, we'll sing, and then we'll read um, from the next uh, passage after the song. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you in the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having, in the, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. From Ephesians, this time chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. That's a couple of pages on, page 979. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert without perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that, my, that words may be given to me in my, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Roger. Thank you, Davi, and let me add my welcome um, uh, to Chalmers this evening. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, but I wanted to have the passage in Ephesians chapter 1 read to give us a bit of background, because we are slightly diving in cold, and that's the effect of having a backup preacher. Let me pray for us all as I begin. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the strength of your might. 
thank you that you are the creator God, the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And so we pray tonight in the weakness of my words, you would in your power change us, change our hearts, strengthen us to stand. And we pray for those here who don't yet know the Lord Jesus, that you would be working miracles and helping them to see how great he is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, normally I say at this point there's a handout, um, an outline on the back of the service sheet, but it won't help you at all. It will just confuse you because it's for a different passage. Um, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, which actually I'm hoping will be a real encouragement to us, a good moment in the year. I want to open with this question. What are you expecting the next year to bring? Now, if you don't work in academic years, you may not realise we're at the start of the year, but we are. Lots of us do work in academic years. We are at the start of the year, start of a church year, and start of school years for some of us. Um, We're back from holiday, work is kind of starting up again, patterns are starting up again. It's a good moment to think, what am I expecting the kind of 2018-19 season to bring? When I was growing up as a teenager, on uh, New Year's Eve of all times, my, my mum would kind of try and um, corral the family together and she'd try and get us to, to fill out little cards saying, here are my hopes for the year, here are my fears for the year. And I mean, we would all complain massively, kind of, can't I just go out? Or um, That's a bit serious, that's a bit mushy, I don't want to do it, you know. Um, I actually find myself looking back and thinking it was quite a good idea. Um, I find myself thinking about that, lots of things my mum said when I was a teenager, actually. Um, but when you look across a kind of a few years' worth of predictions, it is really interesting. So, if my mum burst into your flat or house tomorrow with a kind of eager pen and paper in her hands, what would you write in that box? What are you expecting 2018-19 to bring? Perhaps it's kind of getting the grades you need. It is a kind of school um, education-based thing. Maybe it's finally buying a home you've always wanted. Maybe it's booking a dream holiday if you can save enough by next summer. Maybe it's finding the relationship you'd really love to be in. Or perhaps your box would just be full of fears. You know, friends who are really ill. Where will they be in a year's time? A job that maybe is looking quite shaky, getting worse by the day. Or a family that's becoming increasingly difficult to support for whatever reason. What about if you, if you thought about your kind of Christian life, your walk with Jesus, what would your hopes and fears be for the year? Maybe hopes of getting to know Jesus better? Maybe hopes of a real step forward in service? I mean, the church plant will provide a great chance for that, whether we stay or go. There'll be lots of holes to fill. Maybe it's hopes of kind of loving his people more. We're called as Christians to love one another, not just to kind of do our own thing, heads down, but to actually love one another. Maybe that would be your hope for the year. Or maybe when it comes to thinking about you as a Christian, it would be a load of fears. The fear of blowing it as a Christian. Sliding into old habits. Maybe wimping out when it's hard to stand up publicly in one situation or another. I think it depends a lot on our personality, whether we kind of see hopes or fears as we look ahead to the year and in the kind of murky unknown. For me, it's often worries. Um, 
especially with Brexit. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. But actually tonight, tonight will reduce the uncertainty. It definitely will. Because after tonight, we won't actually have to rely on guesswork for the 12 months ahead. It's not because I'm about to predict the future myself. I don't have that gift. But Ephesians 6, God tells us what to expect. What to expect from the Christian life, including the next 12 months of it. I'm afraid the answer is slightly sobering, especially if you're one of the optimists out there. But this is exactly what to expect for the next 12 months. And the answer is this. It will come up on the screen. Christians are at war. Christian, you are at war. If you're a follower of Jesus, the thing to expect for the next 12 months is war. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about physical conflict not talking suicide bombers, not talking travelling to some conflict area and taking up arms. Just look at verse 12. It's very, very clear in the New Testament that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Christians are not fighting human opponents. But it's equally clear that we are in a fight, a war. And actually, our enemy is worse. Let me read verse 12. Paul writes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Christians, says our God, are at war with evil. And that's not the kind of silly Halloween costumes, people in tights. He's talking about powerful, demonic rulers. The Bible says there are spiritual beings who are anti-God and so anti-God's people. They'll do all they can to take down Christians, whether it's stopping us trusting God's promises, stopping us loving God's people, stopping us living God's way. I mean, the Ephesians, in their culture, knew all about this. It was a centre of black magic and idolatrous worship. But it's just as true here. Christians, we're at war. That's what to expect. Which may sound a bit depressing as a kind of stand-in sermon. I don't know what you were hoping for in terms of the replacement of Johnny, but I guess it wasn't a kind of war briefing, which is what tonight's going to be. How to survive when you're at war. If anyone here has recently become a Christian or is listening online having recently become a Christian, I don't know what you're expecting from following Jesus. Lots of wonderful, wonderful blessings. Lots of things to encourage us. But one non-negotiable that comes with following the Lord Jesus is stepping onto the battlefield. Or really, changing allegiance on the battlefield and then feeling the, the, the fight. That's the bad news, we're at war. But actually, don't panic, because this is a passage to help us at war. War is non-negotiable, but the truths in this passage will help us. Um, And actually, I think even just being told that there's a kind of conflict going on, a spiritual conflict going on, is really encouraging. Because if you're anything like me, or pretty much every Christian I've met, you all have found serving God hard this last year. I don't know if that's true of you. Maybe you're the exception. But, but have you ever wondered, why is it hard to trust 
our Heavenly Father and he's completely trustworthy and he's never broken a promise? Why is that so hard? Why is it a fight to love our Christian brothers and sisters to a family? Why is it a battle to pray? Why is prayer such a battle? To stay thankful, why is it tough to serve your spouse or obey your parents or respect your boss or not tell dirty jokes or not get wasted or to forgive people? Why is that such a battle? Well, because of verse 12 here on page 979. Verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. If you're not a Christian here, you might be thinking, well, I don't want to go anywhere near that. <laughs> I'm not going to become a Christian if that's what it involves. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we're told what the alternative was, which was to be already just going with the flow with the devil's anti-Jesus campaign. There isn't any neutral ground to stand on. But for Christians, it's a real encouragement this is a passage that explains why the Christian life can feel like a fight and a passage that tells us how to win. So then, we'll see um, the headings come up for this kind of God's military intelligence, God's tactical briefing tonight. We've got three points, basically. The objective, the one tactic we need, and then the equipment God's provided us. Um, let's look at the objective as we, as we participate in this war. Whether we like it or not, we're in the war. Let's look at the objective. So verse 11. Verse 11. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Or flick on to verse 13. Look on to verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore now, one of the things we get our trainees in uh, Bible teaching to look out for is repeated words. I wonder if you heard one as I read through those. Repeatedly, we're told the objective, stand firm. He says it so many times, stand, stand, stand. That is, dig your studs in, stick where you are, don't give an inch, stand firm. That's the objective, that's the aim, that's the aim for the next 12 months. When evil powers throw everything they've got at us, this passage equips us to stand firm. I hope that is an encouragement if you're one of the warriors. If you find yourself thinking, I haven't got it in me. I always feel like I'm going backwards in the Christian life. Well, in this passage, God tells us how to stand. Stand firm is the key Objective, And then what's the tactic to enable that to be possible? How can we stand firm? Well, verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Stand firm in God's strength. I know those are simple words, but actually they are massively powerful. As powerful as the God who backs them up. And again, should be a massive encouragement if you're feeling weak. I mean, feeling weak is quite a, a kind of rational response to verse 12. When you realise what we're up against day by day in the office uh, with our friends at home, well, we should be thinking, help! 
Cosmic powers are waging war against me. The devil is prowling around to take me down as a Christian. Helps. How's little old me ever going to stand against that? I mean, I know I kind of put it all together for a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. I make it look like I'm okay. But if you had any idea how weak my faith was, how I struggle when I'm in the office, or if I'm at a party or a pub. Look, I am no Christian super soldier. Can't we send these kind of trainees that we keep getting up on stage, can't we send them into battle and the rest of us will just sit and watch and we can pray for them maybe? No, says God. All of us are at war. All of us can stand because the way you stand as a Christian is in God's strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Chapter 6, verse 10 is a verse I frequently come back to when I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed by ministry. <laughs> to be honest, I actually said it, said it to myself about this sermon <laughs> as I prepared to preach and thought, oh boy, um, normally I have a bit longer. But actually, the Lord is the one who has the strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's not what you bring to the table each day as a Christian. Such a relief. I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked into the kind of New Year's resolutions uh, kind of brigade, but this is so different from the kind of self-help, grit your teeth, pull your socks up, this year's going to be different, just try harder, the kind of resolution brigade. I think as we go on in the Christian life, I don't know if this is true of you, it's true of quite a few people I talk to, and it's certainly true of myself. I think we, one of the hardest things is realizing how hard it is to change me. Go through a few years of thinking, oh, I wish that, that situation would change, or that person would change, they're really rubbing me up the wrong way, or whatever it is. And then you begin to realize, hang on, <laughs> I need to change. Then you try that for a while, and you begin to realize, huh. Changing my heart is actually going to be pretty tough. And it's a wonderful thing to know that the power for that is not lying within me somewhere. It's not reach down inside yourself. Sing a Disney song and you'll be fine. Absolutely not. The strength is in the power of God, the strength of his might. And the reason we read that first passage, if you just flip back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, the reason we read that first passage on page 976 is because Paul opened this letter reminding this church how strong God is. That amazing prayer, verse 19 of chapter 1, he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. And to drive the point home, he gives us an, an example I'll read on in verse 19. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. God has mighty power. If you want to see how strong it is, look at the empty tomb. But Jesus wasn't just raised up kind of back to ground level, a reset. No, chapter 1 says Jesus was pulled by God the Father's kind of immeasurable biceps, 
pulled out the grave and placed above all powers and authorities. There is no enemy we face. Let me say this again. There is no enemy we face who is not under Jesus' feet. And extraordinarily, chapter 2, we didn't have time to read it, but chapter 2 says we're with him. And so there's no enemy we face who's not under our feet. Albeit they give us a good time, a hard time, sorry, until we meet the Lord Jesus. All of which means we're not locked in some kind of 50-50 battle. We sometimes get that, lots of religions or worldviews will teach that. There's a kind of good versus evil struggle going on in the world. Uh, and it's just back and forth, never a clear winner. Some days you, you kind of have God's power and other days evil hits you and what can you do about it? It's just got out of control. Not at all. Jesus is already placed above every power and authority. Nothing happens without his okay. I know that's hard to hear, but it's far harder to hear that the steering wheel of the universe is just being pulled back and forth randomly, equal powers. Be strong in the strength of the Lord and his might. I wonder if that's why we're told to just stand still. We're not trying to kind of make our way across no man's land. We're already in the winning position. Jesus has already won the victory. He's already won the territory. We're to stand, to just hold the ground. But what does that actually look like? I I think... That's the kind of big point this evening. What does it actually look like on the ground? Say we get hold of that in our hearts and we say, okay, this year I want to stand strong in God's might. What does it actually look like? It's one of those kind of Bible verses, isn't it? Verse 10, back in chapter 6, verse 10, that could easily go on a calendar and would seem encouraging, but you might be left asking, what do I do then? Well, the rest of the passage gives us the answers and or gives us the equipment that God strengthens us with. So first we'll look at verses 11 to 17, which is wearing gospel armour, and then verses 18 to 20, praying gospel prayers. And they'll come up on the screen. There you go. So firstly, wearing gospel armour, verses 11 to 17. You can see that's Paul's point in verse 11. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And if you miss it that time, he says it again, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So actually most of the passage is a kind of equipment briefing. It's God's military intelligence, but most of it is descriptions of this awesome armour extraordinarily powerful armour God has provided us. Now I know kind of war museums or Roman armour memorabilia isn't kind of everyone's cup of tea, but the point of this passage isn't to kind of keep us mildly interested in the, the military metaphor. This is a briefing to help us survive. I guess if we, we were in one of the front lines of the world at the moment, 
a Syria or an Afghanistan, people wouldn't be daydreaming through the equipment briefing. Now's a good time to focus. What is the powerful armor that God has provided? Well, I think the short answer, the kind of summary answer, is the gospel. I think it is gospel armor. That's why I called it gospel armor. So in verse 14, for example, it begins with truth. Fasten on the belt of truth. And the list ends, verse 17, with the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So in one sense, this is, these are all dimensions of Bible truth, gospel truth. They're aspects of the gospel. They're all things God provides to people who put their trust in the message of Jesus, the good news, the gospel. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Remember we said, God is the strong one, not me, not you. So of course his armour would be the message about what he's done in his strength. The message of what he's done through the Lord Jesus. That's the kind of summary uh, answer, gospel armour. But actually for Paul, it's not enough just to say, I'm a Christian, I trust Jesus, I trust the gospel, and leave it like that. Kind of, I've got Bible truth locked away safely in a cupboard. I know I trusted the the gospel once, and, and so I'm fine. Don't need to think about it again. That will help me stand against evil. Not at all. Just, just look at how many commands keep running through the verse. So we had verse 11, put on the armour of God. We've had verse 13, take up the whole armour of God. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened the belt, belt of truth and having put on the breastplate, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Or 16, take up the shield of faith. Or 17, take the helmet of salvation. So he's writing to Christians. They already have the gospel. But God's strength, which enables us to stand, is not some passive thing. We don't just sit back and we'll be fine as evil throws its arrows. No, we put on this gospel armour. Stand firm by wearing the gospel armour. When I was young, I had a brief time playing cricket. I was terrible. Uh, and didn't particularly enjoy it, but um, uh, the school that was helping us um, provided equipment, kind of armour is another way of describing it. And so, you know, you get pads, gloves, helmet, box. Um, And it would be absurd, kind of going out onto the cricket pitch, quite nervous as I was, as a not very good batsman, it would be absurd if I didn't put it on, wouldn't it? Uh, Yeah, I've got loads of armour. It's actually really high quality. It'll stop anything. I've left it in the bag knowing that I had an enemy who'd be zinging cricket balls past my ears, why wouldn't I put it on? And actually, that's a silly example because it was cricket. It doesn't really matter. And I was 10, so (laughs) they were never going to bounce high. I wasn't actually seriously in danger. But Paul would look at some Christians around Edinburgh and think, how can you go out unprotected? How can you not put on the armour of God? You've got such powerful armour. How can you not take it up regularly, weekly, daily? So then, do we take steps to arm ourselves with Christian truth? It might be in the particular moment, so before you walk into the office and where you struggle to, to live as an open Christian, 
live in a Christian way. It might be as you head to the party. It might be while you go away on holiday with family. Do you put on the armor of God? Do you buckle up with biblical truth? Do you actively take the sword of the Spirit in your hand? Or like me, sometimes on holiday, do you think, time for a breather. I won't do my normal kind of quiet time routine and end up wandering around unprotected, vulnerable to the devil's trap. Actually, this doesn't have to be a solo thing. So this passage was written to the church as a whole. It's not just about kind of personal Bible reading or personal quiet times. And we mentioned earlier small groups. And I'm not just saying this because the plug is this week. I'm saying it because I think it's a direct application of Ephesians. That we would gather together and encourage each other to arm up for the Christian life. In fact, at the start of every year with the small group leaders, I use Ephesians 4 which talks about us all speaking the truth in love to each other. Why? Well, it tells us so we're not blown around by deceitful schemes. Part of small groups is helping each other be protected, reminding each other of God's strong gospel truth, preparing each other for the fight day by day. I was reflecting, why why don't I more regularly myself and more committedly with others, turn to kind of put on the armour. I think it's because I've forgotten I'm at war. That's the problem with an invisible war. You can forget about it. Life seems pretty comfortable. And if the choice is an extra 20 minutes in bed, under the covers, quite warm, or actually getting up and reading my Bible, praying, thinking about the gospel, well, the 20 minutes sometimes wins. That's only because I, I forget I'm at war. And if I was sleeping on the front line in Afghanistan, kind of snatching what sleep I could, there is no way, if I knew I was heading into battle, there is no way I would not get up slightly earlier to check the equipment was actually strapped onto me, <laughs> the Kevlar vest or whatever it was. Paul says, don't be under any illusions about the coming academic year. You are in a war. God's provided the gospel that will strengthen you, and we're about to get on to prayer the other huge gift he's given us. Why wouldn't you put it on? Be strong in his strength. One final thing before we move to prayer, and which has struck me afresh, is something I kept missing in this passage, I think, which is um, Paul speaks about the whole armour of God. Did you notice that? Verse 11 or verse 13. Put on the whole armour of God. Take up the whole armour of God. And then he gives a list of different components. He doesn't just say, put on some gospel armour or put on the gospel as armour. He says, put on the whole armour of God and then runs through a whole load of aspects of the gospel. Lots of them are summaries of what the letters already said. We don't have time to go through each one. I just want us to spot that it's possible to only equip ourselves with one aspect of gospel truth to forget the rest, to do the equivalent of walking out to bat in cricket with a helmet on but the legs completely unprotected. Let me give you an example to show you what I mean. Let's imagine a Christian bloke. From verse 17, he's wearing the helmet of salvation. That is to say, he's confident that Jesus has saved him. His place in heaven is secure. And he's well protected with that gospel armour. He kind of reminds himself, I'm safe, I'm saved, I'm secure. And so when the devil comes along in the war and says, whispers, 
you're not good enough. There's no way God would accept you. Well, this Christian soldier can fight back with gospel truth. That is a lie. Jesus paid in full the helmet of salvation. He's covered. But the tragedy about this guy is he put on the helmet of salvation, but the breastplate of righteousness, that's verse 14, breastplate of righteousness, well, maybe he's never taken that up. That is, he's never really thought that through, never really applied that to his own life. That is, he's never thought how clean and pure he now is in the Lord Jesus. How Jesus' righteousness now belongs to him. He's never thought what a privilege that is, what strength it gives him. And so when the devil changes tactics and says, oh great, you're saved, brilliant, glad you know that. Well, in that case, there's absolutely no reason not to go wild. Why don't you just look at the porn? Why don't you just give up fighting temptation? Or he's unprotected. See that? We need more than one aspect of the gospel. We need the whole armour of God. A second example. Picture the Christian girl who loves taking up the shield of faith. So every morning on the way into work, she reminds herself how dependable God is. He deserves to be trusted. And so the devil sends some doubts her way. And she asks herself, well, who am I going to believe? The promise of God or the promise of the devil? Well, of course, she stands firm, the shield of faith. Sadly, though, she hasn't thought about her footwear. That's verse 15. Shoes for your feet. Put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. She hasn't thought how having been reconciled to God by the gospel, she's now reconciled to other people. But the church is one family. And we have to reach out in love to the world around us. And so when the devil tempts her to splag off a brother, and sister, or, brother or sister at church, or to allow a bitter grudge to just begin to fester, or to tell a joke that puts people down, begins to divide relationships. He's unprotected. To which Paul would say, put on the whole armour of God. Don't underestimate your enemies. There's more than one attack that comes our way. Don't leave Bible truths in the cupboard. Don't only put on the helmet. I think that's a challenge if we've been a Christian for a while easy to have a few favourite aspects of the gospel, a few favourite truths which we keep saying to our hearts, and that's a wonderful thing. But one of the good things about being in a small group or coming to church is that we hear the whole range of the gospel, the full message, the full armour, and can apply that to our hearts. It might be good to think, is there an aspect of Jesus' work that has I've got a bit fuzzy on, I've stopped applying to my own heart. For me personally, I know I need the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place if I'm going to make good decisions about what to watch on TV. Other friends will stick verses by their um, computer or, or they'll read the Bible on their commute before the office attacks kind of begin, the temptations there. However you do it, wherever you do it, buckle up with Bible truth. Stand in God's strength by wearing God's armour. Our time is nearly gone, but there's one other 
major aspects to how we stand in God's strength. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? If it's God's strength, well, then prayer becomes a huge part of how to stand. I've called them gospel prayers. I'm getting this from verse 18 to 20. Uh, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I've called them gospel prayers. When Paul there says um, praying in the Spirit, I think that's not talking about a kind of particular technique of prayer. Sometimes Christians might think, uh, oh, maybe that means praying with certain kinds of music on or praying whilst lying down or lying on my face or kneeling or hands in the air or whatever it is. I don't think it's about the technique. I think it's about the content because it flows straight out of verse 17. Verse 17, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. See that? Pray with the Spirit's sword, pray in the Spirit, i.e. pray gospel prayers. Pray in response to the Bible, what God says, what the Spirit has written. So pray biblical prayers, pray gospel prayers. I think it's continual gospel prayer as well. Just look at all the alls in this. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication with all the saints. It's pretty strong, isn't it? And to really round the point home, Paul then asks a prayer for himself just to make the point, I need prayer too. Continual gospel prayer. That's not spending literally every minute praying. The letter has other things we're supposed to do that it commands. But it is saying a continual attitude of dependence, such that praying about something is just kind of, is one of the first things we think to do. The more we're persuaded that I am not strong enough to stand, but the Lord is more than strong enough to make me stand, the more that will become our impulse. It does mean, if, like me, your prayer life can be lacklustre sometimes or half-hearted, it's right, I think, to confess to God pride. I must think I'm strong if I don't think I need to pray. But, of course, remember, the answer is not gritting our teeth and trying harder. Yes, discipline helps with a prayer life, but actually it's not the heart of the issue. It's trusting that God has the power. And that's the note I want to end on. Um, it's a striking thing, actually, providentially, I was listening to the songs. They were chosen long before this passage got rearranged. Lots of the songs spoke of God's immense power, his extraordinary strength to have raised Jesus from the dead, to have seated him above every power that gives us such a hard time, and to seat us with him. And so my prayer, as Paul's prayer was earlier, would, would, is that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Let me pray that now for us. Our Father in heaven, it sobers us to hear you describe the next year of the Christian life as a war. The whole of the Christian life the whole of our church life, as a war. We pray you'd help us not to just bury our heads in the sand and try and forget that, but actually to take you seriously and so trust in your strength, your gospel armour, to take it up daily, weekly, together. And Lord, please teach us to pray. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.